0: YourWelder.com was built by actual industry welding experts who actually perform this type of work on a daily basis. And here's the best part. They're veteran owned and operated. So go check them out at YourWelder.com. And also feel free to check them out on social media where I'll include their links in the show notes. I think I'm still getting over the migraine headaches that I had from doing so many post-traumatic pur- purpose courses in uh, Chattanooga, Tennessee. I uh, we did We ended up doing 20 Um, it was hard as fuck. It's, it's, it was very, very difficult. I'm not going to lie. It was, uh, for me, it was extremely emotional, um, doing that many courses back to back to back to back, but we're all done. And I hope those guys and girls, uh, took something positive from those courses. Um, I'm sure, I'm sure some did, and I'm sure some did not, you know, because this thing that i do it's it doesn't appeal to everybody obviously and i remember i used to tell them you know because this was these were mandatory classes the chattanooga fire department had to go to and i remember when i was on the job when they would send us to a mandatory anything i would be the first one complaining <laughs> would go kicking and screaming but when you get in there and you realize like hey this is something a little bit different this isn't necessarily a sensitivity class that we're going to i think that's that's what a lot of people probably come down there thinking like, oh my gosh, we've got to go down there and talk about feeling. That's not it. That's not what I do. Um, I actually tell my classes I don't, I, don't, I don't really believe in being overly sensitive, but I do believe in being compassionate for our people. And throughout my course, I teach this, this, this concept of how, why do we in emergency services, why, why do we have the ability to go out and be um, very compassionate for complete strangers at any given time of the day? But then we can't even give compassion to our own brothers and sisters who need us the most or when they need us the most. It's hard for us to do that because honestly, the honest truth is because we have to wear this coat of armor that we wear and we're never allowed for them to see us vulnerable and we cannot allow them to see us weak because that may question, um, they may question our ability to perform on the job if they ever see any kind of sign of weakness. And that's why we do that. And that also crosses over to our families. You know, my my own daughters have asked me, they've actually showed concern over my lack of concern when they get hurt. I've had one of my daughters before that she's told me, she's like, dad, you, you don't care when we get hurt. You don't really show that you care. And that broke my heart because it's like, it's not that I don't show that I don't care. I do care. I just understand emergencies a lot differently. And part of that too, is part of that, that lack of compassion for our own people. We, we do, we, we do not show a great job at showing compassion for our own families sometimes. And that's, that's pretty sad. And the reason is the reason is this, it's because we operate in a very dark world oftentimes, and we see a lot of horrible, bad things in our world. And, and, our families don't necessarily see those bad things, so they don't perceive the world the same way that we perceive it, and the way that I explain it is this. It's like I'm always expecting horrible, bad things to happen, even to people that I love, and the only way to protect myself is to not give, get too close to them, and that's the sad part. It's we give them just enough, but we never truly give them our full selves, And that's a defense mechanism because I know at some time in life, if I get too close to a person, that person is going to be taken away from me. I've experienced it time and time and time and time again. So after a while, you just don't want to hurt like that anymore. And you don't want to, you don't want to go all in with everything you got because you know, everything you got is going to be stripped away from you one day. And that's why we build up walls and we put them around our family and in between our families and loved ones. And that's just how it is. I heard something that, uh, that's kind of stopped me in my tracks because it's so true. And, and, and I heard this, it, somebody said, most people die at 25, but they aren't buried until they're 75. And that means you live this wonderful, fun, exciting life up until about the 25 year mark. And after that, a person begins to die when we talk about slow death right and they go through life for the next you know fifty years just just going through life and just existing and then once they're there' they finally die they're finally buried but think about that man how many people do you know over the age of twenty five that really thoroughly get out there and enjoy life and have passion for life It's, it's, it's not a lot of people and i th- I think that boils down to a lot of things. You know, everybody's so excited when they're young to have a family and get married and do all of this. And they don't understand the stresses that come from that. And you take those stresses, you couple that with the, with the work stress that we see in the emergency services, military and all that. And you take all that trauma, you start mixing it up and then home life becomes stressful. And before you know it, guess what? At 25, you are dead. You are just existing. You had a great life up until all those things started coming together. When I hear myself say this, it it sounds horrible cuz I'm hearing the words that are coming out of my mouth, out of my mouth, but it's true. You know, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and be honest. I was um last week when I was heading out to Chattanooga. We I had to leave Easter Sunday and I was already stressed out because one, I love what I do. But two, it's like I go and I put myself out there and, and I'm extremely vulnerable with people and and I'm, my heart's in the right place. I'm trying to do, you know, good for people but it takes its toll on me. And part of that toll is me being, you know, pulled away from my family and, and, and there's nothing worse for me. I, I know time's running out and I do want to spend time, but this is what daddy does. This is what I got to do. So that morning, I mean, I felt horrible. I'm, I'm not going to lie. We had, we had an Easter egg hunt on my farm with just the kids and they were having a good time. And one thing I don't like doing is I don't like repeating myself and I don't like asking. I don't like asking twice and my barn was destroyed and the kids were out here all of spring break. They destroyed my barn several different times and it's all right. Once it's okay. Like let's clean this shit up two times. I'm like, all right. Hey, didn't you hear me the first time? But the fifth time Easter morning, I walked out there and there was horse feed spilled everywhere. And you know, I got to pay for this shit and it's all on the ground and now it's destroyed. And I was pissed off, man. And I came unglued and you know, I I tell people all the time, I'm growing, too, and I'm learning, too. I'm not a perfect human being. I make plenty of mistakes, and I try, to, I try my hardest to learn from these mistakes. And I blew up on my kids, man, and it's, um, I, got, I got more stern than I probably should have. Actually, I know I, I know I did. I got way more stern than I should have. And they started crying. And uh, I was standing there looking at them, but I was so infuriated because I felt disrespected that, look, I do everything I do for, for these two kids. And it, and it's like, there's zero appreciation. Now I understand they're six and eight. They're not, they don't understand exactly what we as parents go through, but I'm trying to speak from a parent's perspective. And that's part of the aggravation. You don't feel respected and you feel taken advantage of sometimes. And that's, that's kind of what I felt in that moment because I knew what I was leaving that day to go do. I was leaving everything that I loved and I was going to do something that was going to tear me apart at the seams inside when I start going and talking to these first responders and their spouses about all of the stuff I've experienced in my life or some of it. And it's difficult. And I was apprehensive about leaving because I just did a week before that. And it was very, very tough on me. And it was the hardest week I've done yet. And I knew that's what I was going back to. So anyway, I blew up on my kids. You know who ends up paying for that too? My wife. And it's unfortunate, but she did. She she caught it and that's what we do. That's the first responder world. Welcome to our community, right? And it's but that isn't how it should be. So I'm gonna tell you where I fell, where where I failed. I got in my truck, or my, I say my truck because I try to sound cool, but I was actually in a minivan. Um, I get in my minivan, I start pulling out, and I was like, "All right, I'm heading out," and I I don't hug anybody by. I just say goodbye. And I start pulling out of the driveway and the dog is following me out the driveway. And, and now I'm mad because the dog's going to try to run to Chattanooga alongside of this damn van with me. So I stop and I back up and my wife saw me when I backed up. I had the window down and I said, can you come get the dog, please? And she said, oh, I thought you were backing up to give me another hug. Goodbye. And that that's that's where I could have made a decision to make everything better. and I could have put my pride aside, and I could have said, you know what? That's exactly what I was doing. And I could have put my vehicle in park and got out and went and gave her a hug and went and hugged my kids again, but I didn't, I was too prideful and I was too heated in the moment. I could not blow this off because I was, I was redlining and I looked at her and I go, no, that's not what I was doing. And she got the dog. I rolled the window up and I left. That's not fair. And that wonderful week the entire family just had out here on the farm was devastated within about mm, three minute time, time span because of one man, one man's inability to control the explosion inside of him. Now, when I start thinking back on it, there were other factors that led up to that, but still I didn't deal with those factors appropriately when they were happening. And instead of dealing with them, I just kept burying them. And by burying them, this is what I talk about with, with post-traumatic stress, with mental health issues. When we never address the issues that are right in front of us and we just tuck them away and we're like, oh, it's no big deal. It's no big deal. This is the result of that. You always explode later. And it's not even really the the, the little thing that you think you exploded over. That's really not it. It's a culmination of pouring a lot of uh, highly explosive materials into one bottle and then it's one little spark that set that whole bomb off and the kids with the with the horse feed that was the spark it was it was stuff all week that was festering that I wasn't dealing with and I wasn't I'm I guess I, I was trying I, I do try new things I try not to say everything that's on my mind all the time because I have a really really bad filter and it's not the it's not what you said it's how you said it kind of thing and I don't always necessarily have the appropriate tone. Um, I don't pick the appropriate language sometimes, but I don't mean anything by it. And I see both sides of that. I see that from guys and girls that, 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 communicate like me, but I also see it from the spouse's side for people that don't communicate like we do. And there has to be some kind of common ground in there because when we do speak, we speak with so much venom that the other person thinks everything you're saying is directed at them. And it, that, that's not necessarily the case, but that's certainly how it feels sometimes. A lot of cool things happened while I was just out of town in Chattanooga. So I'd already been up that way in Cleveland and I talked to the Cleveland fire department. I got to know a lot of the Cleveland guys and girls really well. Uh, my friend Jen samples, you know, with our friend, we, I mean, her husband, we talked about that episode with Dustin, her husband who committed suicide a couple years ago. And we've all, we've all grown pretty close. And then, um, so I was able to see some of those folks and one of my buddies from, um, Chattanooga fire department, I got to go hang out with his family and have dinner at their house one night. And I was, I was dragging ass tired, you know, because I was doing two events all day. And I went back that day and I laid in the bed for 30 minutes. I set my alarm and I ended up snoring. I was, I woke myself up within 30 minute time like gasping for air, I was just so tired, and then I realized I was like, I got to hop in the shower, and I got to get to Chris's house. And I'll be honest, I wanted to go, but I didn't want to go because I wanted to rest. But I knew, and this is this is what I'm talking about: you have to accept and and welcome friendships because what we're really good at doing is isolating ourselves to the point where there are people that want to appreciate you, there are people that want to love you, there are people that want to spend time with you. And, and I mean, really good quality time with you. And we do a really good job at when we're, um, when we're affected a certain way of making every excuse to not spend that quality time with people, including our, our really close friends and our families. And I I'll admit, and I know Chris and them, they listen to this, but I was, I was worried because Chris has four kids. They are, they are four girls. And I didn't want to get over there and, and have fucking an episode with me freaking out with somebody's kids yelling and screaming and all of that. And, but I went and I went and I'm so glad that I did because it was such a wonderful experience. Chris is amazing cook by the way, but he and his wife, they welcomed me with open arms and we sat there and we sat there and I got to know their children, their four girls. And I was sitting there watching them play in their backyard. And I was the whole time I was thinking about my girls and well, I get to watch them on our farm the same way. And you know what happened, man? Nothing, nothing, nothing bad happened. Everything great happened. That's what I talk about. I was like, we, we spend so much of our life preparing for all these bad things to happen that we don't get to fully take advantage of the moments that we're blessed with. And I am so glad that I took the time and went over there and sat down and broke bread with his family. And it was, it was just an an awesome experience because the old me, I promise you the old me would have made every excuse not to do that. And that's part of the growth process. And over the years I've been learning to, to step outside of my comfort zone and just say, you know what, go do something, Travis, you deserve it. You don't need to be a hobbit your whole life and live in this cocoon of safety your entire life. Go do something and go be around people that want to, that want to be around you. This is a beautiful thing, and I encourage you all to do that same thing. There's a lot of people out there. Your phone has probably stopped ringing because all you do is say no to everything, and that was me. People actually deleted my number because they were just like, you know what? That dude's not even going to come around anymore, and it was true. I wouldn't, but I'm back, baby. I'm back. I'm actually going to start drinking again. I talked to my wife about that. Check this out. I haven't had a drop of alcohol in over 10 years, and I'm proud of that. I stopped drinking alcohol because of, um, what it was doing to me and, uh, how it would make me feel. Obviously I had, I had my reasons, but I stopped the day after our wedding in uh, July 10 years ago. And I just said, I'm just not going to do this anymore. And And I never touched it, but man, the, 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 the better I start feeling and the more like normal I start feeling, I've been getting a little curious lately. Like I'll smell her wine or I'll watch people drink. And then I'm like, man, I could do this. I could have a little sip, but I, I mean, I, Travis used to get loose, man. And I don't know if everybody's ready for that, but I do worry about where it would take me. And uh, that's why I don't. So I'm actually not going to start drinking again. That was just a joke, but we were out at dinner last night and I, I looked at my wife and I said, yeah, I'm gonna start drinking again. And she looked at me like, excuse me. <laughs> so I can't do it. I can't risk it because it takes, it would take me having one episode being drunk and saying the wrong thing in front of you know, my kids or some, you know, saying something that I would, I would regret. Cause you can't take those words back, man. And I've worked super, super hard to get to where I am. And I'm proud of that. So I think I'm on what I always get it confused. Is it on the wagon or off the wagon? I think, I think when you're on the wagon, that means you're sober, right? So yeah, I'm on the, on the wagon. That That's where I'm at. I'm gonna just keep riding the wagon I'll, and I'll watch, I'll just watch the shit show from on top of the wagon. How about that? Last Thursday night. So I went back to Cleveland and the 303 project was having a spousal event, uh, for emergency services and spouses at a church. And I got to admit through my comedy days and speaking days, I've, I've performed in every venue imaginable. Uh, that was the first church I'd ever been inside of to actually open my mouth and talk about something. And I got to admit, I was waiting for a lightning bolt that never came. Uh, y'all can applaud me. There wasn't one F bomb. There wasn't one cuss word. I spoke for right at an hour. And afterwards I was like, yeah, who's your daddy? Like, I don't have to come in here and cuss. I like cussing. It's fun for me. It's like, a, it's, it's just actually, it's not that I like cussing. I just like turning my filter off when I do what I do. And that way it can be a little bit more authentic. But We went in there and I spoke and Jen spoke and we talked about post-traumatic stress, what that looks like. We talked about suicide, what that looks like and how we rip our families apart at the seams and how we as men are really good at making excuses for why we cannot communicate to our spouses. And I talk about this in my course, how we're excellent communicators on the job, but we suck at communicating at home and it's, It's a horrible man because we actually we're extremely good at communication on the job because without our communication, everything dies. Um, you can't have an emergency scene without effective communication. When communication gets messed up, the scene gets messed up. So what do you think happens at our homes? It's the same thing. And I've heard every excuse under the sun. I've heard guys tell them, Well, I don't talk to my family because that's my way of protecting them, and that's bullshit because our divorce rate is 80% in this business. And it's not from the shift work. It's because we don't communicate with our spouses and it's because they don't know how to act when we have our little stupid episodes that we have, because we're too manly or too much of an alpha male, too much of an alpha female to tell our spouse about that. And so we make them pay for it the entire course of our marriage, our careers, and our lives. And who else sits there and bears witness to that? Our kids do, and it messes them up. And then all of a sudden you have those kids that were raised. You ever hear those people like those? Uh, so when I was young, all the Vietnam veterans were all the fathers, right? And all the kids were like, well, my dad was a Vietnam vet and he's an asshole. He don't talk to anybody about anything. And then you look at that family and that family's severely fucked up and the kids are fucked up and the kids they're raised and they become fucked up. And it's all because dad or mom fucked them up. That's all it is. And I tell people all the time, man, it's, it's, it's bigger than you. You are messing up more than just yourself by not talking to people and need to be able to find a fate, a way to effectively communicate. I'm going to, I'm going to be very, very honest. I had an episode the other night when I was on stage in Cleveland. Um, this has happened to me a few times throughout my career doing different, different functions or different events, but never like this. So When I was on stage uh, in Cleveland, we had a panel afterwards. We sat on the stage and all the spotlights were on us and they were bright and there was four of us sitting up there. There was myself, there was Jen, there was uh, Chief Duggins and then Pastor was up there with us and we were just taking questions and everything from the audience and they were really engaged and they wanted to learn because this was a voluntary event and all these spouses came out with their husbands and wives. It It was a beautiful thing. Well, while I was sitting up there I went back to a place and I had no control over it. And this happens, this happens to me sometimes. And when the old days, when I would be on stage the spotlights is what is what set this off. Okay. It's the heat from the lights and it's the bright, bright spotlights. I've been on stage different times throughout my career and this has happened, but I was able to shake it because I'm in a moment like having fun and laughing and I'm being very quick and stirring the pot on stage. This is with comedy stuff. Well, this time I was sitting there patiently while people were talking and sharing their stories and those lights were on me and it took me back inside of that building that night when we had all of our guys in front of us and we had some spotlights out and I was reliving that scene again. And I don't know if it was because I just finished talking so many times in Chattanooga and I was reliving it night after night with those guys and then coming out there and sitting under those lights, but whatever it was, it was very real for me and I smelled it, I tasted it, I saw it, I heard it, and inside of me, man, I I, I was I wanted to get up and run off of that stage at, at 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 one point. It was fucking me up. And uh but I sat there and I started thinking about some positive things and I did some things that I do to kind of hopefully make it go away and it took a few seconds, but but it did and uh and that was that. But I'm going to tell you right now, that was one of the most uncomfortable things that's ever happened to me in 15 years of being in front of audience was the other night when that, when that moment flashed, uh, in my brain while I was under those lights and it was a difficult thing. So let's think about that. Let's talk about these things. Let's talk about when, when these events happen, what are you going to do? Like, how are you going to handle it? Um, everything inside of me, fight or flight, right. And everything inside of me told me to run. Everything inside of me told me to get up and remove myself from that situation. But I couldn't, I was there and people depended on me to be there. So what happens to you in a situation when you feel extremely uncomfortable? I'm going to tell you what you got to do. You got to breathe and you got to start counting. And I know this sounds stupid, but that's what I did. I kept my eyes open. Normally I shut my eyes when this happens, but I kept my eyes open. I looked at the audience. I wasn't, I was not there with them. They had no clue. I don't think they did and i started counting to 10 and i immediately started thinking of how blessed i was to be where i was and how blessed i my life is for all of the bad things that ever happened to me in my life and i'd look at all of the bad events that ever happened to me and there's always some good that came from every single one would i like to erase those events yes but that's how i got out of it in that moment as bad as i was feeling i was like all right this happened this was a good thing this happened this was a good thing i counted to 10 people were talking and I couldn't even hear what they were saying. It was all just muffled noise because I was checked out for several seconds up there. What happens when you go to a, a get together and that happens, you know, the last thing we want to do is freak out and start panicking and, and doing all this stuff. And then everybody looks at you and like, yep, I confirm that motherfucker. Something's not right with him. And then, you know, your social social circle starts shrinking even more than it already has. But you have to find a way and everybody's way is different. But I encourage you the next time that it happens to work through it, don't run from it and the more that you can work through it. I think the only reason that I was able to work through it in that moment was because I literally have worked through these things thousands of different times, but I've never done it in front of an audience like that. And that's what was scary for me. So next time something happens to you and you blank out and you're somewhere else, try to work through it in the environment that you're in because that's, that's control and it's power, right? Obviously, if you're very uncomfortable and you feel like you need to remove yourself, have an option, have that option. But I didn't really have an option the other day and I had to, I had to work through that. So I'm pretty proud of that moment. It's always super cool when, when you, when you meet people that, that follow you or listen to you and they come up and they say nice things like I welcome those things. Obviously that's, it's always nice to, to, uh, receive, you know, affirmation for what you do, Uh, but one thing I like to, to really put out there is this, like, I don't change anybody's lives because so many people have come up and said that. And it's like, look, I, I can't even take a piece of responsibility for that. You know, who changes your lives? It's you, you actually get up every day and you make the hard decisions to change. What, what I did is I just sat on the end of a microphone and said something that sparked something in you. So that's all that is because, I know when I was, when I was hopeless and helpless and all these things, I was hoping that I could find that little spark. I didn't have it. I had to kind of get out there old school style with two sticks and a rock and make my own spark and then kind of blow on the fire whoo, whoo, and stoke it and keep it stoked for it. in it because this shit wasn't around when I was out there looking, uh, And I'm just glad that we have platforms now that we can get out there and we can talk about these things and people actually get to go out there and put the hard work in. So I just want to say that Um, I signed a book for a gentleman. His name is Jack and I've never met Jack, but I had the pleasure of meeting his wife in Cleveland, Tennessee. And I heard a little bit of Jack's story and I heard that Jack likes to listen to the podcast every Monday. So Jack, I appreciate your support, buddy. I uh, was honored to be able to sign a book for you and, and, and have it back for you out in Wyoming. I believe it's in Cody where y'all live, but I could be wrong. I fuck things up too. I also have a note that says Cody Jenks here, um, about a song that he has. It's called tell Him what it's like. And, uh, maybe that's why I messed up and said Cody Wyoming. But anyway, Jack, I appreciate your support, my man and your wife. I appreciate both y'all support. Let's talk about that Cody Jenks song, tell them what it's like. So Cody Jenks is an outlaw country singer, and he's talking about what it's like doing, uh, what people think it's like versus what it's really like what he does. And, you know, people see the travel, they see you getting to talk to groups and they see you on stage, but what they don't see is what goes on when the cameras aren't rolling, when the, when the podcast isn't recording, when the classes are over and all that. And it's, it's, it's actually very lonely and very brutal. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm trying to master, this self-care thing because i've gotten to a point where i've been back in destruction mode and not intentionally so i talk about i've been into fitness my whole life and i've just kind of not let go but i haven't prioritized it the way that i did for 22 years of my life uh i i make all the excuses the travel the the lack of sleep you know i'm sleeping in in a different bed sometimes every single night when you're on the road and stuff and it's just it's hard and it's uh it gets to you Um, but we got to do this because this, this work is very important. It's very important to me. Um, so when listening to that Cody Jenks song, it just kind of made me smile because I remember when I was on the road doing comedy and everybody's like, man, that's great. You get to travel to all these cities and you get to see all these places. And I was like, dude, it's nothing like that. It's actually very, very brutal. We're up all night performing. We sleep all day. Sometimes you forget what city you're in because you're just there for a day and then you're in another one and then you're in another one and then you're in another one and you're meeting people and it's all just a blur and when you get back home, you don't even realize where you really were. It's very strange. It's not what a lot of people think it is. So I like that song for, the, for that very reason and he talks about being curled up on the floor when he can't take it anymore and what he's talking about is his wife is seeing him in a, in a, in a way nobody else gets to see him and then he's got to clean up, clean that shit up, clean his face up and, and then put on a costume and go back out there and do what he does. And it's hard. I'm just, it's, it's hard always being out front like that. And I I understand it. And there was a, there was somebody that pulled me to the side not too long ago and said this, hang on, I'll take a sip of this water. This guy said, "Man, I want to do what you do. I want to get out there and I want to speak and I want to talk about being in the military and I want to talk about being a cop and I want to talk about the things that I saw and I want to do this." And I encouraged him. But I, I don't. I don't discourage anybody. I encouraged him. And I was like, "Man, then, then do what you have to do. Find the strength to do it. Be vulnerable. Go 100%. And give yourself up." You know, and don't worry about what people think about you. And he's like, all right, I want to do that. And then when I walked away, I was like, he has no clue. He has no clue if he makes that step, what that's going to bring, the weight that that's going to bring down on him. But I don't like telling people about that stuff. Cause I don't want to be the guy that crushes somebody's dreams. I want to be the person that helps lift somebody else up and helps them accomplish their dreams. I had another guy come up the other day and he was like, man, I want to do comedy. And we talked about comedy and he said, he's about to retire. He's, he's a little older. And I wanted to be like, man, you have lost your fucking mind with this political correctness and shit. But I was like, dude, go do it. And i said, what good is living this life? If you don't do the things you want to do You don't want to get to the end of this life and never know if you're curious about something, go get it, man. And I'm a firm believer in that just old saying. I know it's not, not just firemen, but men, men used to say this all the time. They're like, man, you know what? I'm gonna hate, I'm gonna hate if I get through my entire life and realize that gay sex was the best thing in the world and I never tried it. And if I do try it, I only get it once and then I die and then I'm gonna be mad that I didn't do it for, for my entire life. Cause it could be the best thing in the world. And I'm just, I'm just being selfish and not, not going through it. And that's kind of funny shit right there. Um, yeah, but there's a lot of people that think like that. So, you know, Hey, give it a shot, do what you gotta do. Right. It's like, uh, for me last night I was at dinner and I don't, I don't, I'm not a vegetable guy and I'm damn sure not a Brussels sprout guy. Brussels sprouts just, just sound nasty to me. Well, last night I ordered this bone in pork chop and we're at this really nice spot. And, uh, out, out came the damn pork chop with some Brussels sprouts. And I looked at them, and I thought about gay sex and I said, you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna do it. <laughs> and I said, let me tell you something. When I put that Brussels sprout sprout in my mouth, that thing has some apples and some bacon in it. And it was probably one of the most delicious things I had ever eaten in my life. I'm not bullshitting. It was that good. I want to go back and get more and that's what I'm talking about. Look how much of my life for 44 years I've went without having something that was actually pleasurable and it was delicious and it made me feel good and I've never done it because of what I thought it might be. Think about how much control your brain has over you. We don't do things because we think something might be a certain way. When We have no experience or no real knowledge of it. We just think we won't like it. And so that changed something inside of me. And I've been working on this for a while. I'm doing new things. I'm trying new things. Memphis barbecue guy. Listen, if you, if you've been following me since episode one, I might be showing up in Memphis sometime with a, you know what? Let's fucking do this attitude. I just kidding. I'm not there yet. I'm not there yet, but you never know. We already know that, uh, I don't, I, I mesh extremely well with people like me. And then problem is in my life, there's not a lot of people like me anymore because when you retire, when you leave the job, you're away from all the people that you used to associate with. And that's why I like what I do because I'm still around a lot of firefighters and cops and and emergency service personnel and their spouses. But that's only when I travel. But when I'm back home, I recluse again because those people are nowhere to be found. And when I opened my mouth, people were like, what the fuck's wrong with him? Um, case in point, I was back in the city and I was back literally a day and I was losing my mind. I was probably there, uh, two hours before I actually, yesterday for about two hours before I was like starting to come unglued And I just did not want to be there anymore. And um, but it was what it was. So at one point, my 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 daughters are outside playing, and I hear them arguing with somebody over the fence. Now my lot is very private in the city, and I have like all these um, clumping bamboo plants. You can't see through them or anything. And I I walk out. I was like, "What the fuck are they talking about?" And I hear my youngest daughter go, "You can't talk to my sister that way." And I know that there's adults over the fence. And I was like, "Whoa, what's going on?" So I crept up in the bushes and shit, and I was trying to listen to what these adults were saying before I just assumed. And then I didn't hear anything, so I popped up over the fence, and I was like, hey. And they're in the backyard, and I said, is there there something going on with these kids? And they're like, no, we're just trying to show them our puppy. And I was like, I wasn't really believing that. And I said, okay, hang on a second. So I walked back over to my daughters, and I'm like, were they saying something rude to you? And my oldest daughter said, no, sir. And I looked at the youngest, and I said, were they? And she just had this look on her face and then she goes, no, sir. And I go, so wait a minute, you were being rude to them. So I fucking put them on my shoulders. Cause they couldn't see over the privacy fence. I walk through the bushes, stick them over the fence. I'm holding them over the fence and I forced them to apologize. Talking to these adults this way, come to find out they were just trying to show them the puppy. And my youngest, for whatever reason, got a little attitude on her and spouted off at the mouth. But we corrected that real quick. Case in point is this. I after that walked off. And I was like, this is why I don't like being around fucking neighborhoods. This is why I don't like being around people, you know, granted my kids, they, they don't normally talk like that. I do think something else may have been going on, but neither side was going to be honest with me at that, in that moment. And I didn't want to spend a lot of time having an investigation, but I handled it with my kids, but it made me uncomfortable. And that's why I went back inside. I just, I, and I, when I'm in there, I just sit inside And I let everything bottle up and build up. And then inevitably, you know what happens in that situation? People end up paying for it because we're not happy. And that's what this whole incident or this whole episode is boiling down to. It's we end up making people, other people pay for everything that's going on inside of us. And I know I didn't act this way at 25 years old. And I know a lot of us didn't act this way at 25 years old. And now I'm almost 45 years old. You see where I'm getting at? Been dying since we were 25. And we're just waiting to get to that 75 mark to be put in the ground. And we got to recognize that and we got to stop it. And we got to start finding joy in life because I, I talk about this all the time in these courses that I teach. I'm like, look, the world is not as bad as we make it out to be. Granted, Yeah, you see a lot of shit on the news. Our jobs are very polarizing because we're in that line of work. That's what we do. But for most people, the world is sunshine and rainbows all day long. And most people never even see a bad thing in their life. But we not only see bad things, we create bad things. We create inappropriate and awkward ass moments with people all the time because we're just assuming that's where it's going to go anyway because of what what we've experienced. And I'm trying to be more cognizant about that. I think the biggest thing in my life is peace. Like, how do how do we find that? Just I know you're never going to have a hundred percent peace, and there's always going to be something that's going to rock your boat a little bit. But how can we, along the way, and like from 25 to 75, how can we start offloading a lot of the stuff that is not peaceful in our life, so we can have a more peaceful journey and possibly a more pleasurable journey. And I. I tell people all the time, you got to do the things you want to do. What's stopping us from doing that? I'm guilty of it too. Responsibilities is a big one. (laughs) Responsibilities will stop you dead in your tracks from doing things you want to do. I've been thinking about getting a boat because I grew up. I grew up in the water. I grew up, my father, we grew up on the water, a boat and all that. And I just never really wanted a boat as a grown man because I traveled so much. uh, And then I'm, I'm not around that much anyway. And I grew up working on boats because with my father, well, I, I grew up watching him do it and cuss and throw shit because boats break down. They stand for breakout another thousand, but I'm at that age now. It's not even about me. It's about my family. I want to be able to, um, have more than just a fucking farm for them to come out and, and ride horses and pet animals and shit, which is, it's good. But I also think it'd be good to get away from here too. Um, and get out and get on the water and stuff. And don't think I'm not thinking about going and getting a boat cause it, It's it's taken every ounce of discipline I got because I'm a, I'm an assets guy and we, me and Randy talked about that in our episodes. I don't like buying liabilities and a liability is something that takes value from you. But think about it in this, at this point of view, that boat and that and it financially, it would be a financial liability. But when it comes to peace in my heart, I'm starting to look at it as a fucking asset. And I don't know if that's dangerous because I've never thought along those lines. I've always thought the complete opposite or maybe I'm growing and maybe I'm maturing and I'm like, you know what? Maybe that will be an asset to making memories with my people. Think about it like that. Now I'm not in a position where if I go out, it's going to put us under. And I know a lot of people that live like that. So that's the ones I'm like, look, don't do that if you're in that position I drove down the road the other day. This is no bullshit. And I'm not judging, but I cannot help but to think like this. I saw a guy out here in the country pulling out from behind a single wide mobile home. And this is a run down single wide mobile home. all right. And when I was pulling by, he was in a big, nice, brand new Chevrolet truck pulling a very nice, big ass boat. And there was also a brand new Tahoe park behind the thing, which I'm pretty sure is his wife, wife, because I've passed by and I've seen them two in the yard before. And I've seen that truck and I've seen that boat behind the yard. Look, if that's the way people want to live good on them. And maybe just maybe they're happier than I'll ever be. But when I see that situation, what I see is I picture somebody having children and prioritizing toys, personal, like adult toys, over taking care of their family's needs first and call me fucked up, I guess. But I think, I just think that's a little bit backwards. I think people need to be taken care of first and then you kind of do the toy situation after that. But again, maybe I have it wrong. And me and Randy talk about this all the time, man. We talk about finances and we talk about this and that. And we talk about how miserable we are (laughs) and how much fun everybody else has. And they're financially fucked up some people. But they still just have a great life. And I'm like, man, fuck it. I'm at the point where, lick ass. I'm just going to go buy a boat and get a big ass truck to pull it with. And just go have fun. And maybe that's the recipe. Maybe the recipe is be alive at 25, 35, 45, 55, 65, and fucking 75. Not just at 25, baby. Do the things you want to do in life, people. Time's running out. We know that. Try to be responsible along the way. I love y'all. I'll see y'all next time.